Most people have heard of phytoestrogens, but did you know there are beneficial phytoandrogens that mimic and support testosterone and more? The top source of these is pine pollen. If you're looking for 100% natural hormonal support for men and women, you've got to try this. Right now, Lost Empire Herbs' best-selling pine pollen is available for one penny plus shipping and handling. Go to GeniusPollen.com to find out more and grab yourself a bag today. No hidden charges, no trial offer, no shenanigans. Just a low-cost way to try Lost Empire Herbs' top product for next to nothing. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. We've got a really great guest, Rob Greenfield. He's an environmental activist. Uh, he's got a YouTube channel, Rob Greenfield. Uh, his website is robgreenfield.org. So he's an activist and a humanitarian dedicated to leading the way to a more sustainable and just world got a really fantastic YouTube channel with a lot of great information on, you know, growing products, harvesting them, foraging, etc. So I just want to ask Rob about his activities and um, his channel and his lifestyle. So welcome, Rob. All right. Well, good to be on with you, Richard. Yeah. Tell me first a bit about your background. What got you into, uh, you know, sustainable living and, and what you do today? Sure. Well, I, to go back, I guess, really about 10 years ago, I was living the American dream that I, that I thought, you know, I was very much focused on material possessions and financial wealth. I had the goal of being a millionaire by the time I was 30. I was 25 at the time. And I was living a good life. I was enjoying it thoroughly and I was happy and healthy. But then something happened and I realized I had to really change the way I was going about life and really change my life goals. And what happened was I simply started to watch a lot of documentaries and read a lot of books and realize that almost every action that I was taking, food I was eating, the car I was driving, the junk I was, the trash I was creating, the junk I was buying, it was all causing destruction to the earth, to humanity and to our fellow plants and animal relatives. And at that time, I just said, I am going to, I'm going to change things around so I can be living in harmony with the earth. Was it a, a growing, creeping realization or was one day like a, a watershed moment where you changed everything? You know, it was definitely, I really fairly quickly realized that I wanted to totally radically transform my life. I very quickly started to see how much I had been lied to by corporations and by governments and by society and so it wasn't overnight, but over a period of just a few months, I, you know, realized more and more that this way of life that I was living was not in alignment with my beliefs. And I very quickly decided that I was going to turn things around. And so what I decided to do was that every week I was going to make at least one positive change. And with the idea, if I did that for two years, every day of every week, one positive change, that's 100 positive changes over two years. And if you think about it, imagine if you woke up and you were doing 100 things differently tomorrow from, what, from today, it would be pretty like, 
whoa, who am I? What am I doing? My wife would get a shotgun and be like, who are you? Exactly. But, but by doing it one step at a time over a couple of years, I was able to pretty quickly transform my life to stepping away from destruction and living more in harmony with earth, humanity, and our fellow plant and animal relatives. Yeah, the reason I ask you is that, you know, I've thought about some things like that. Like, what if I gave away most of my possessions and just lived with very little? But a lot of that's very scary. So it sounds like you took a plunge that most people probably would find to be very scary. How did you let go of your desire to make money and your, you know, your lifestyle as it was? Definitely. You know, there was a lot. There definitely was some hopelessness and helplessness. And like, how can I possibly live in alignment with my beliefs when almost everything that I'm doing is destructive? So that's where for me, what I decided was by taking it one step at a time, I was able to just make little shifts and little shifts and it built my confidence. And, you know, I very early on had the dream of like, can I exist without money? Like how simple can I get my life to, you know, can I get my life down to just everything I own fitting in my backpack? But those bigger picture things, those took me years to get to like by the time I simplified my life down to owning just 111 things. That was after five years of downsizing and simplifying month after month and year after year. And so by doing it that way, it made it manageable. But also I just, you know, for me, I want to acknowledge that it's a lot, you know, I have a lot of privileges and it's not, I didn't grow up really wealthy or anything. In fact, my mom made about $18,000 a year and had four kids with no dad. So I grew up, you know, quite low income, but I still had a lot of privileges and a lot of skills as well. And a lot of free time and resources that allowed me to really be able to dive in. And also what people would call a safety net, like not like big investments or anything, but I knew that there were people who cared about me, which changes things compared to some people when they wake up, they don't have, you know, a support system around them. So That was something that was also really, you know, what made it possible. And just one other note on that, the whole idea was realizing the privilege that I had and saying to myself, I'm not going to take advantage of that privilege. I'm not going to live in a way where my joy and happiness comes at the expense of others. I want my joy and happiness to come in a way that actually uplifts others. It is in service to earth and humanity while also finding more joy and more compassion and more meaning and purpose in life. So what were some of these uh, initial small shifts and what were like some of the real major ones? Yeah, well, some small ones were just like, for example, ditching the paper towels and the napkins and just using a wa- you know, washable cloth towels or getting rid of the toxic cleaning products and replacing it with simple natural products like vinegar or getting rid of my old spice deodorant and realizing actually I don't even need deodorant. It's been 10 years uh, without deodorant and I have more friends than I did before when I wore deodorant, Um, (laughs) you know, small things like that, starting to walk a little bit more, starting to ride my bike a little bit more and then a little further and then a little further. And then some of the big things were after about a year and a half, I actually got rid of my car after three years or four years, I got rid of my cell phone and went cell phone free. After five years, I got, uh, I had no bills. Taking my money out of the big banks was a big step. That took like five years or so before I took my money out of Chase Bank and switched it to a local credit union. 
removing all of my investments from my five, uh, 401ks and all that that were invested in fossil fuels and cigarettes. That was a bigger step for me. So all along the way, there were small, easy, manageable things that brought me more meaning and joy in life. And then there were bigger ones that were, you know, sometimes scary. But by the time I got to the point where I was ready to do them, it wasn't really scary anymore because I had thought about them for long enough, educated myself, learned the alternatives and seen that I could do it. When did you come to that point where you did, I guess it was a challenge to yourself to go a year and all the food that you would eat would be foraged. Is that, is that correct? Yes. So, well, you know, from the early awakening in 2011, when I was 25, I'm, I'm 35 now, I, you know, the big awakening was about our food, you know, realizing that with every bite that I was taking, I was literally consuming the planet. that none of my food was giving back to the earth. It was, it was pillaging the earth. And so early on, I did have the question, would it be possible to actually exist outside of this global industrial food system? Would it be possible to exist without this packaged food, this food that's shipped around the world, guzzling fossil fuels, these ingredients that I have no idea what they are? And basically, you know, would it be possible to actually grow and forage all of my own food? And so that was a question I had from the very early start. But when I decided to finally give it a try, was the end of 2017. So about six years after I initially started making changes and I set out to on a one-year challenge, one year of growing and foraging every bite of my food down to even the, the salt that I would put on my plate, the, the calories, the protein, the fat, the nutrients, the vitamins, the minerals, you know, the, the medicine, everything for an entire year. Most supplements are taken on faith and can take weeks or months to have an effect. Even supplements backed by scientific studies may or may not deliver those same benefits to you. But what if you could feel the results of what you took within just a few days? Lost Empire Herbs offers the highest quality, wild-harvested, non-irradiated pine pollen, and that can dramatically impact your hormones fast. Right now, you can grab it for one cent plus shipping and handling at GeniusPollen.com. Wow, that's a tall order. Did you come up with that or was that suggested to you? And then I want to ask you about that journey. What was that like? Sure. Um, you know, I don't, I honestly don't always remember exactly where ideas come from. A lot of times it's brainstorming with friends. A lot of times it's me riding my bicycle. That's when I get really inspired. But I'm always bouncing my ideas off of uh, friends. At the time I was dating someone named Cheryl and all of my ideas definitely were shared with her. And then I do know I was definitely inspired by people that were, you know, not necessarily growing and foraging all their food, but people who were testing the limits. I read Animal Vegetable Miracle by Barbara Kingsolver. She did a similar year, but not growing and foraging everything. So the idea probably came a little bit from within myself and then a little bit from many different sources around that I came across that inspired me. So you forge the idea from other people <laughs> from yourself. Yeah. That's that is a reasonable statement. So what was that like? What was it like? Uh, you know, day one, week one, month one, and then month six, seven. And what was that journey like for you? Well, the first meal that I had on day one was the first meal of my entire life that was a hundred percent homegrown and foraged. I dived into the deep end. I had been preparing for ten months prior. 
and learning so much. I had been growing food all over the neighborhood. I had six front yard gardens that I had started in other people's yards. I had mapped out where food was growing, where fruit trees were and where the wild yams were growing. And, you know, over the last 10 months, I had basically, you know, figured out where the, where the supermarket aisles were, but instead in the forests and oceans and, you know, abandoned city lots and so on. So when I started on day one, I, I indeed had never taken the time to grow and forage a, an entire meal but I had a lot of food growing and I had a lot of knowledge and I had some food already stored away. And the beginning was tough because, especially because I wasn't just doing this. I was running other programs like the three seed project and community fruit trees um, programs to help other people with growing their own food and gaining food sovereignty. And I was also doing a lot of media, you know, for the first eight or nine days, there was a media team from France there with me. And whenever you have cameras there, everything takes a lot longer. So it was a lot of late nights and a lot of work, but it was, it was about 10 days in that I noticed a big shift in my, how I was feeling just about a week and a half of eating hundred percent homegrown and foraged food. And I noticed that my digestion was the best that it had been in my adult life. And um, definitely was feeling good. Um, for a well, one second, quick question. At that, when you first started that journey, how good were you eating? Were you standard American diet or were you eating really clean at that point, even before you started? I have always strived to eat, you know, a lot, mostly unprocessed, unpackaged diet. Or, you know, I should not say always, but since I, you know, started waking up and making changes, that being said, if somebody, if I'm at a party and there's cookies and brownies, I, I try stopping me. I will, I will eat so many of them. It's, it's definitely a problem. And also because I, I was doing a lot of dumpster diving, I, you know, I, I dumpster dive for food, food that's going to waste at grocery stores. And because I do. Oh, really? You got, you got food out of. So I did, I imagine you again with these gardens, just walking around neighborhoods, picking and all that, and asking people to eat their stuff. But you got food from dumpsters as well. Not for the year, no. So oh, okay, okay. yeah. Well, let's go so, back to the year. So, so you were eating pretty well, but eating this way was even better for you. You noticed the difference, even so. Yes, but what I want to say is that because prior I did a lot of dumpster diving, when I find a half gallon of still frozen ice cream in the dumpster, there's a good chance I'm going to eat it. So most of the food that I was buying was healthy, but you know, I would find a dozen donuts in the dumpster, good chance I was going to eat it. So my diet was healthy, but it was by no means like pure. You were part, uh, you know, eating the best you could ever eat and part Oscar the Grouch. Yes. Although I will say that I can get the best that anyone can eat out of the dumpster as well, because it's amazing what's thrown away. But so, you know, my health was definitely improving and I was feeling really good, solid as I had in a while. And then about a halfway, half year into the project, I started to feel deficient. I was, um, I was getting plenty of calories, plenty of greens, like vegetables and fruits and, you know, nutrients. But I was lacking in fat and protein. I was not having successful time fishing. I was eating a lot of coconuts and making coconut milk, a lot of coconut curries, but I just was not getting enough fat and protein and started to feel pretty deficient about halfway in. And that's when I 
managed to harvest some deer that were hit by cars. Some people would call them roadkill deer, but I call them deer that were hit by cars because they were uh, they were a deer before they were hit by the car, and they're still a deer after they were hit by a car. Mm, okay, you weren't able to get like eggs from you know people that had chickens or other sources of protein. No, because I had to literally grow or forage 100% of the food myself. So I couldn't get chickens, eggs from somebody else. I would, I actually, it had to be food that I actually grew. I wasn't, uh, you know, taking food from others or exchanging. And, you know, interestingly, I'm actually always have been a good fisher person, but I was really not successful with fishing and ate a lot of coconuts, but that just wasn't doing the job and a lot of beans, but it's a lot of work to grow and forage all your food. But basically, the second half of the project, I, I managed to get enough protein, started to catch more fish. And I finished off the year having grown 100 different foods in my garden. I foraged 200 different foods from nature, which is over 300 different foods over the year. And wow. I finished off uh, weighing about the same as I had started and feeling the healthiest that I had felt my adult life. And I made it through the year without getting sick once. So it was a real beautiful, yeah, beautiful example of letting your food be your medicine and your medicine be your food. What did you do though with, with, I mean, where were you? Did you have to move around to get away from winter or what did you do when it got cold? Well, I lived for this project in central Florida and I chose that because I wanted to be in a, I wanted as a new, new gardener and, and everything to live in a year round warm place, but also just on a personal level, I like to be in warm places. So I had the year round growing season. That being said, a lot of people think that I could only do this because I was in a warm climate. And the reality is, is that the most abundance that I have ever experienced is in the Northern climates in Wisconsin and New York and, you know, Pennsylvania and all across the North. And the key is you just have to harvest the bounty through the summer and you preserve it. You can, you dehydrate, you freeze, and then you have that bounty to eat all winter long. Okay. That makes sense. So as the year went on, you said you had some challenges, you retained them, you felt great. What else did you learn from doing this year? You know, did you learn a lot at the beginning or it was more towards the end or you know, again, what else, what else came out of it? Well, the amount of knowledge that I gained through this is just, you know, hard to speak upon. For most of us, we are so disconnected from our food. We don't know where it comes from, how it gets to us, what the impact it has on the earth. And I learned about every single ingredient that I needed in order to have a complete diet. I learned about the ecosystems that create this food. I learned about how to manage a garden in a sustainable way that actually regenerates the earth rather than depletes it. I learned that I could find food anywhere that I am, whether I'm in the city or the countryside, suburbs, or you know, downtown New York City, wherever I am, I can find food, food growing freely and abundantly all around me. And I'm not currently growing and foraging all my food by any means, but every day, Everywhere I go, I find food that's growing freely and I, most days, enjoy some of that food straight from the earth. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, um, what other uh, projects did you work on after that? I'm sure, I mean, did you feel, well, I'm guessing, did you feel emboldened to like, all right, what else can I do now? Or you like, I need a break and let me just chill out for a few months. Well, um, by that time, when I did Food Freedom, you know, I had been doing my activism for a handful of years by then and I've continued to do many different 
projects that are designed to, you know, test my own limits, but also be by doing so taking people on a journey that helps them to sort of test the uh, preconceived notions of that we have about the earth and our relationship. And so I'm always, you know, embarking on these projects that are designed to educate myself and, and, you know, grow skills within myself, but at the same time, take others along on this journey. And the whole idea is to get people to self-reflect, ask questions about their life. And, and uh, you know, if they don't like the answers to the questions, then learn about how we can change them, how we can live in a way that is in harmony with, with the earth and again, with humanity and our plant and animal relatives. And so I've continued to do that. And after food freedom, I was actually on a, on a world speaking tour and that's when COVID hit. So I ended up just kind of bunkering down in Southern France for four months. Okay. I mean, but what's, um, again, what other big projects? Like, so it sounds like you're always making changes. You're always trying things. You're always moving in a direction. So if we fast forward to today, how has your mission changed? What projects are you working on or want to work on at this point? Sure. Well, what I've been working on primarily over the last about two years is a lot of community programs. So Over the last few years, we've planted about 2,000 community fruit trees, which are fruit trees that are publicly accessible for anyone to enjoy the fruit from and help people to see that food can be grown right in our front yards and our parks and our schools. It doesn't have to come from the grocery store. And also running the Free Seed Project. With that, we send out a seed pack that has about 20 varieties of seeds of greens, herbs, flowers, vegetables, enough to start a small to medium-sized garden. And we've sent those out to, is it 50,000 people about, or 30,000 people over the last few years. And then I've been running other programs as well. So that's really what's been a big part of my life over the last few couple few years has been running these programs. My next project actually is starting, well, oh, my, next, my last project was I was out in New York City in April, or sorry, Los Angeles. And I did a project where for one month, I lived just like the average person, eating, shopping, consuming, just like so many people are used to. But with one big exception, I had to wear every piece of garbage that I created. Um, oh. the, the idea was... You, to must, you a- must have had like a bridal veil on a train 22 feet long of garbage wherever you went after a while. Well, what I did is I had a specially designed suit made with clear pockets that were expandable. And it, it, had a, it was very well built to be able to hold this weight on me. So every day I got bigger and bigger. The average U.S. American creates about four and a half pounds of trash per day, which is about 135 pounds per month or close to one ton oh, per year. Wow. So I didn't create that much, but I, while living like the average person, I created about two and a half pounds of trash per day. So by the end, I was wearing 72 pounds of garbage, whether I was, uh, you know, on Rodeo Drive or in Santa Monica at the beach or uh, at the shopping mall or out on a date. Everywhere I went for the month, I was a walking billboard of how our consumerism really adds up. Did people come up to you like kids or adults and ask questions or what, what was people's reaction? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the reason I like that campaign so much is it's hard not to notice. It puts consumerism right in front of people and it does it in a fun and interesting way. And so people would ask me often, what are you doing? And I would say, oh, I'm just living like the average person, but I'm wearing all of my trash. 
and people's jaw would drop. It started with curiosity and intrigue, and it would often result in just shock. They, you know, it was a visual that helped them to really understand something that often they had never really thought too deeply about before. Because for most of us, trash is out of sight, out of mind. We just throw it in the garbage can and we never think about it again. And with me around on the streets, you had to think about your garbage if you saw me. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, what? I guess it's obvious you know, that people create a lot of garbage and trash, but what, what hit home to you in doing that experiment besides, you know, what I just said? Yeah, I mean, it really was simple. I mean, you know, I knew that I was going, that, that the garbage was going to be adding up and going into it, but it, it just took, it took a couple of weeks and every single time I saw myself in the reflection of a window, I just, I couldn't help but to see how absurd this was. And, it was amazing how much the weight added up. And so I didn't just see the burden of our consumerism. I felt the burden of our consumerism with every single step. And I just, I did a TEDx at the end of the, at the end of the 30 days, I timed it so that I could do a TEDx at UCLA. And so for people that would love to like see more of that project, you can search the TEDx. I wore all my trash for 30 days. <laughs> did you wear it on stage when you did your TEDx talk? Absolutely. That was the whole idea. I was on stage in the trash suit. Did anyone ever think you were like a homeless person and kick you out of a place when you wore this? A lot of people confused me for someone experiencing homelessness or someone, you know, with a mental uh, illness. Um, it was like, you know, because our trash is so out of sight, out of mind. And in our society, we often like try to push our problems to the curb and not see them when we do see them, we're often confused. And so, you know, in cities, often when people see garbage, it is sometimes, you know, people who are experiencing homelessness who are going around and like collecting cans and things like that. So definitely people confused me with that. And, uh, but when they would hear me talking, it was, it was pretty amazing to see how some people went from disgust, like looking at me with disgust, you could see it to all of a sudden being like, whoa, what is going on here? And then being like, whoa, this guy has a point. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. Wow. So these shifts you made, but I want to bring it around to another topic. So from what I've been hearing in the news, all over the world, it looks like famine may be coming, unfortunately, for hundreds of millions of people. Um, people here in the U.S., small shifts can they make to help themselves going forward? Like, you know, they may be afraid, I'm sure they are afraid that maybe they're worried about what's coming, but what are some like really useful, simple things that people can do to improving their lives in the way you did? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, to go into that, what I like to really focus on is how can we improve our lives in a way that actually improves those around the world that have less than us? You know, so many of us live lives where the reality is we have, we have access, we have everything we need and so much more. And when we, you know, look at that, when we start to look from a place of gratitude, we start to see that. And so what I really like to encourage people is to ask the question, yes, how can I improve my quality of life and do it in a way that is improving others as well? And, you know, one of those is breaking free from this global industrial food system, because so much of the food that we're buying at the grocery store exists because of our pillaging of other communities. So looking at our food choices, 
And instead of buying food from these huge corporations that are causing destruction to the earth, putting our money and our time into local food systems. That doesn't mean we have to grow or forage it ourselves, but supporting the local farmers and gardeners who are growing food in a regenerative way. Um, starting to ride our bicycles a lot more and not be so dependent on fossil fuels. Simplifying our lives, you know, asking ourselves next time we're going to get something, do I really need this or do I just want this? And the more that we simplify and the less we feel like we need this stuff from corporations, the more we can instead start to depend on our communities. Um, that's another big part is, is becoming dependent upon our communities, learning what others in our community are doing, getting involved, sharing our skills with each other. Once we start to share our skills, we live in abundance. We don't need to send our money to these corporations because instead we can exchange our skills and our resources with others. So those would be, you know, some of the things that I recommend to people in a way that, you know, ultimately one, one little thing at a time is taking down capitalism and instead creating community-based systems locally that are empowering ourselves and empowering others. Yeah, I, I saw in your bio that um, I, you haven't really, it looks like you haven't taken a vow of poverty, but you have something akin to that in terms of finances. What have you decided and what action are you taking? You know, before, in the beginning of the call, you said originally you wanted to be a millionaire by a certain age. So financially, what is your outlook and how have things changed for you? Sure. Well, yeah, so I'm 35 now and I have, I have about $3,000 right now, I think to my name, no bank account, no credit card, no investments or, or savings. My, you know, my net worth, including all of my material possessions is I'd say probably under $10,000 right now. And I've committed to making less than the federal poverty threshold financially. So not simulating poverty, just committing to make less than the federal poverty threshold, which for an individual right now is less than $11,000 per year. And a big part of that is I've committed to a lifetime of not paying federal taxes because I'm not going to pay for our wars and police brutality and you know this inequitable distribution of these funds. Instead, what I do is 100% of my media income, so books that I write or TV shows that I do, is donated directly to uh, nonprofit organizations, especially indigenous and black-led organizations that are, you know, actually providing resources equitably to the people. And so I am in no way trying, like by, by not paying federal taxes, it's not about not contributing. It's about finding a better, uh, you know, a way of contributing that, that more deeply reaches the people and is a part of actually healing our earth. But I don't know if people have asked you, but how do you live on so little and still, uh, you know, and you're still happy, healthy and, and doing whatever you like to do? It sounds like, like what, what are some of the big keys that uh, really reduced your, your need for you know, a larger income? Yes, absolutely. Well, number one is simplifying my life. The less that I need, the easier it is to meet those needs. So I have just so many of the things in the past that I thought I needed, I've downsized, I've simplified, and I haven't left a hole or a void inside of myself. Instead, I just, I just found other ways to meet those needs. So I have a deep connection with the earth, and I can take joy and uh, connection in the earth every day. I can grow and forage my food, which, of course, that can save you thousands of dollars a year. I ride my bike most of the places I go. As far as rent, 
what I do is I create relationships. So often what I'm doing is I do a work exchange for a place to stay. I do some, do some work where we have a mutually beneficial relationship. And instead of it being a financial relationship, it's um, what needs do you have and what needs do I have and how can we work together to meet each other's needs? So that's the other big part is it's about community. You know, so many people in my scenario would feel very insecure about the future, but I would feel very insecure about the future if my only investment was financial. I believe that financial investments are nowhere near as secure as relationships. So relationships with people, I build quality relationships with people where we will take care of each other, creating community, relationship with the earth, knowing how the earth works and knowing how I can work with the earth, relationships with animals and plants and fungi, you know, mushroom relatives. I've, I've eaten a lot of mushrooms over the last week, not hallucinogenic mushrooms, just delicious edible mushrooms that are healthy for me, all from earth that other people would be spending hundreds of dollars on if they wanted to. So it's about relationships. Uh, and then other, also all of this is about skills as well learning how we can meet our needs through our own physical hands and by teaming up with people in our community through the skills that we have to accomplish the things that we need to. Because humanity has taken care of each other long before there was any concept of money and we can still do it today. Yeah, that's excellent. A friend of mine uh, named Miguel, he, he's ridden his bicycle you know, all throughout the U.S. for weeks at a time and slept in fields and stayed with people and yeah, he's had a, a lot of cool journeys doing that. Have you done something similar where you said you ride your bike everywhere? So if you need to travel or if you want to travel to another state, do you fly or do you like ride your bicycle? Well, I do different things all the time, but I have biked across the United States three times. So I have, I've done a lot of bicycling. Those, camp, those were always campaigns of you know, sustainability, but also just joy and being living the life that I want to. I biked 30 miles today uh, to get home. I was staying out in the woods and I had meetings today, including this podcast, but I do get in cars, definitely get into cars. Like when we did the project out in Los Angeles, we drove out there. However, I'm not currently flying. I fly pretty minimally, but currently actually a new thing is as of two months ago, I no longer have a passport. I had already gotten rid of my driver's license and my birth certificate six years ago, and I just got rid of my passport. Oh, sorry, my driver's license and my social security card. I just got rid of my passport and my birth certificate, which means I no longer have any form of government ID, which means that if I wanted to get on a plane, I couldn't even get on a plane. Oh, why did you do that? Why did you get rid of all those things? Well, It is a part of breaking free from systems that I do not really support. It's about stepping away from government systems and creating my own systems that are in alignment with the earth. I don't believe that we need to be able to identify ourselves. I think it's a little absurd that we have to show a plastic card in order to prove who we are. Now, within the confines of our society, yes, there's a lot of elements that make sense with it. But on a bigger picture level, I want to see, can I exist outside of these systems? Can I simply exist as a human being? And so much of what this comes down to is I am seeking truth and I'm seeking a deep state of presence. And the more that I remove myself from all of these systems, the more that I can live just in this moment as a human being, a human animal. And that's really what I'm pursuing is just trying to 
exist in, in a very, very simple way. And getting rid of those identifications in and of themselves would not accomplish that, but it's just one element of the many ways in which I have chosen to remove my part myself from systems that do not represent my, my beliefs and uh, of how to live in harmony with this earth and replacing them as much as possible with systems that are connected to this earth. Wow. So what do uh, long-term friends and family say about you? What have they noticed? Are they, I mean, I, I guess it took them time to get used to things, but um, I don't know. What are your interactions or relationships again, family, friends, et cetera, now? How is it different? Well, I would, I mean, I would, you know, my goal in life is to, is to be very humble. It's definitely, it's, it's a balance because I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking about myself and what I'm doing. Um, so it could definitely be perceived as ego, like ego based. And I do have an ego and that's one of my, you know, focuses in life is reducing that ego and using it as a positive tool. So I'm saying that to say that most of my, you know, family and friends, they take great joy in being family and friends with me. Like me being around is a, is often a moment where they're getting to learn and explore and look more deeply at life. And if I'm around, there's a good chance that they're going to be learning new skills, whether it's like the food that's growing in their yard or, you know, or their community or teaching them how to grow food or dumpster diving. So many of my friends have began that you know, so many people are, are waking up and they're wanting to be a part of the shift and the change. And so they, you know, most all of my friends and family really enjoy um, being a part of this journey in a positive way. And a big part of that is that I don't tell anybody what to do. This is just my life and I'm just showing people another way, but I don't um, tell anybody that anybody has to do anything. I'm just a positive example around people. Oh, that's really cool. Have you seen, though, that, you know, unintentionally, um, I don't know, people have felt guilty because the way you live and they don't live that way? Like, are there any, I hope it's not too personal, but no. are there any friends or family that yeah. for some reason just they don't, they don't hang out with you much or talk to you much? Maybe they feel for some reason guilty about their own circumstance because of what you're doing? Yes, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's something that I have to be very conscious about and i i focus a lot on my relationships they're very important to me and so i'm constantly um self-reflecting on my actions and how they how they impact the people around me and so i've gotten better over time you know to be honest a lot of the times i'm not talking about what i'm doing with my family and friends i'm just existing with them i don't you know i don't generally bring up what i'm doing if other people are asking me about it i talk about it but for, but rarely do i actually bring it up but yes people often they, they feel different feelings around me whether it's you know anxiety or whether it's something along the lines of not feeling like they're enough or they're doing enough and um you know often that's not on me that's on them and i can't control anyone else's feelings but sometimes it is on me where I'm seeing the way that I'm interacting is not the most beneficial to those around me. And so it's something I've been constantly working on and constantly changing. But it is one of the challenges of my life. Like people know I'm coming over and they'll often like hide the things that they feel guilty about if I'm around. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, in a way, there's some positivity to that because it means I'm making people think. And that's the whole idea. But it's definitely one of my personal struggles because I don't want people feeling like they need to hide with me around. Yeah. Well, what has been the, I don't know, the most difficult for you in your journey over the past few years? Like, 
what's been some of the hardest things to wrestle with, if you don't mind sharing? Yeah, well, I think the hardest thing is just the daily struggle. That society is not designed for me in the sense of the way that I want to live my life. You know, asterisk, it is designed by for me in the sense that I'm a white man and this is a society that's been largely dominated by white men and have, you know, tried to design society to be of, you know, design for them. So in a sense, it is designed for me. But in the sense that I'm trying to break free from this dominator type society and this type of society that takes what it wants from earth and from others and from our plants and animal relatives, and instead be living in a way that our actions are in positive impact, every day is a struggle because I'm trying to do things differently. Most of the food choices anywhere I go, not things that are for me. Most of the forms of transportation, not ones that I want to be taking part of. Most of the forms of entertainment, not ones that I want to be taking a part of. So it's a daily, you know, daily, every day I'm walking against the grain of society and every day I have to hold strong. You know, having made these changes doesn't mean that I, I'm just like immune all of a sudden. These changes are changes that I need to continue with day after day through the struggle. Okay. Well, very good. Rob, what are good ways for people to follow you and to find out what you're doing and you know learn from you? Where can they go? So my website's just robgreenfield.org and you can find me on the social media and YouTube, but just by typing in my name. And the reason I use those social medias and the website is to put out information that's helpful to others to help them be the change they wish to see in the world. My website has so many guides that I've written my YouTube channel has so many videos that I've done that are really all about empowering others to be the change they wish to see, showing examples of other people out there that are doing it. So they're really great resources, you know, for anybody who's listened to this and, and has like and is inspired and is wanting more, wanting to make changes, then those are going to be helpful resources. Excellent. Well, Rob, it's been a great call with you and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yes, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Hopefully one day we'll be able to share a moment in person. Awesome. Remember, before you go, to grab your one penny bag of pine pollen for all the amazing all-natural hormonal support that men and women the world over are raving about. Try it out and see how it works for you. All you have to do is head to GeniusPollen.com to grab your bag today. Within days, you may be able to notice greater energy, more focus, added recovery, and more. Again, please visit GeniusPollen.com to learn more now. Thank you. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.